0: Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody that's here and everybody that's out there in cyberspace, someplace. <laughs> we wish you could be here. Uh, our numbers are a little bit short here this morning for the first service, and I know why, because we have our congregational meeting after the second service, and and uh, I think people want to make one trip. So, I'm I'm hoping that that all of you will come back after the second service for the congregational meeting too. Well, I would. Uh, I really only have two major announcements. First would be that today is Communion Sunday. So uh from now on out I, I ask you to to prepare your hearts for receiving the the representation of Jesus body and blood and uh train your thoughts toward him and what he has done for you. Uh that's really what separates us from the rest of the world as Christians. Uh, we have a Savior that died for us in order that we may know and live in eternity with his Father, and he still lives. So think about your part in that whole scenario today. Um, the uh, Christmas choir uh, activity is going on, and, and I can't remember when when the uh the practice sessions are or anything, so I'm, I'm sure there's something out there on the uh, on the reception uh, in the reception table there. If not, just ask Aaron after the uh, after the service. So he's putting a lot of effort into that, and, and we hope to make this a, a song-filled Christmas for our community. Um, yes, that's it. Um, if the ushers would come up for the offering, um, Holy Father, uh, we want to pray especially for. Our uh, our sponsored uh, mission uh, effort for the uh, Ashen in uh, Leana San Filippo at at Treehouse up there in Minnesota. And uh, just bless their efforts uh, with the kids who who, uh, desperately need you in their lives. And uh, we thank you for blessing us with all the material possessions that we have. We know that everything that we have is yours. So we wish to to give back our tithes. And whatever tithes and offerings come in today, just bless the leadership of the church to be good stewards that your word might be spread throughout this community and throughout the world. In Jesus' name I pray.
1: You'll find out in the passage of scripture this morning why we sang that song. Look for it. Before you sit down, wave at somebody, shake somebody's hand, say, hey, he is faithful. He is faithful. Just a couple of announcements um, this morning from me, from me, just a reminder, we're Bring your Christmas boxes back in, or if you haven't grabbed one, make sure to grab one, fill it up, and and bring it back in. Those things are happening out in the foyer. Also, the second one is just to make sure that you have this on on your November calendar. We're having a Thanksgiving Eve service here Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving. So at least pencil that in on the calendar. That's going to be a great time, an extra time for us to be together. Um, I'm not sure if Tom said this ahead of time because I was outside, but um, we're going to hold communion and it's going to come at the end of the sermon. OK, OK, so that's when we're going to do communion this morning. So we've been going through the book of first Peter and we've been going through it for quite a while now. And we're in chapter four and we're going to be doing verses uh, 12 through 19. Which means we're going to um, we're going to finish a chapter this morning. And uh which means typically what we do is then the next Sunday is an in-between, and I'll do a, a sermon and a standalone sermon, and then Thanksgiving will hit us, and then Advent season will hit us, the first coming of Christ, and we'll talk about that for a while. So we actually won't get back to chapter five until January 2023. So a little bit of a little bit of a break here. But this portion of scripture, I've titled it a big summary for the congregation because that's really what it is. It's a big summary of everything that he has said so far in the first four chapters. And and it's it's a really good break because when he goes to chapter five, when he gets into chapter five, he speaks specifically to the leadership or the elders uh, of the church. So I hope to present this in such a way that you see that it, Peter is just kind of like pulling from everything that he has said and saying, okay, I'm going to put it together um, for you at this point. Um, I want to show you though that just a little bit of review, little bit of review that he's been saying as a born again Christian, as someone who is born again, as someone who God has caused to be born again, chapter one, verse three, we are to, and these are the three big points, we are to do good deeds. As a saved person, we are to do good deeds. Good deeds do not save us. But as a saved person, we are to do good deeds. That He said that over and over and over and over again. Second big point is, as a born-again Christian, um, we are to provide a good defense. We are to provide a good defense. And that defense, we, we speak about the hope that is within us, and that hope with it, that is within us is Jesus Christ. And we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've heard that phrase over and over again. So we, we do good deeds, we provide a good defense, and then that third one that we added a couple weeks ago, that we even die a good death. We even die a good death. We die a death committed to him, still holding on to him to the very end. And even that has a witness. That has a witness. All of these things have a witness to others. Our, our good deeds have a, is a witness of our Christ. Our our good defense, our words, our witness of Jesus Christ, even our death, can be a witness of Jesus Christ. Be a witness of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, <clears throat> last week I talked about us being in the red zone, and I used this uh, diagram um, where you have this horizontal line, and there's this age. We're in this age, and in this age, in this age is the cross of Christ. He has come the first time, um, but there is a Vertical line up, there's an age to come. There's an age to come. And that vertical line up is the second coming of Christ. And so being in between the cross of Christ and him coming again is this red zone, this red zone, this already kingdom of God last days. And last week we covered these four things. We need to engage. How do we engage in this red zone? We engage our heads, our minds, to think as Christ who came to seek and save the lost, We need to think like Christ. We need to engage our heart to love even those who malign us. We'll talk a little more about that one today. We engage our heart to even love those. Number three, then we engage our hands to show that love in action. And then the fourth one, we engage the Holy Spirit by using the gift given to us to serve one another, that we've been given a gift by the Holy Spirit if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and we are to engage that, we are to use that To serve others during this red zone, so you may have come out of that and thought, um, "How? Here's some questions I might have. How do I think more like Christ? Well, how do I do that? And I would point you back. The only way that really you can do that is you need to you need to be in your Bible, because that's where you learn about Christ and you read His words and you see how He uh, uh, interacted in all those scenarios. So. If I'm going to think more like Christ, I I need to be in my Bible. That's the only place I I can gain that. The second one, how do I love more like Christ? How do I love more like Christ? Well, that's going to be a daily prayer that you have. Because you need your heart in this very hard world that we live in to be tender. And you need to continue to pray, Lord, tenderize my heart to the people that you have put around me. Keep my heart tender. Keep my heart tender. Third one, how do I serve more like Christ? How do I serve more like Christ? Well, again, looking at Christ, I'm always amazed at the, the times when Christ would just stop. He would have this whole big throng around him and one person would interrupt into his moment in time and he would stop the whole parade and say, I, I'm gonna focus in on this person. And I think it's, if I'm gonna serve like Christ, I need to be aware. And that can be another prayer of yours. I need to be aware of the people that God has providentially put around me. Because I am salt and light. I am the salt and light. I'm, I'm to be that salt and light to them of Jesus Christ. And so I, I become aware of the people that are around me. And then the fourth one, how do I use the Holy Spirit's gift? Well, it's good to know about the gifts? It's really good to know about the gifts, but the only way a gift is is productive is if you use it, right? It's, so the only way that a gift is profitable is if someone is actually serving. That's the only way because it's not for you. It's not to put on your mantle. It's not a trophy or anything like that. It's always used for the common good of others. So you need to be serving to do that. And lots of times what needs to happen then is you need courage. You need courage to take that first step and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve in this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out and, and allow it. This is beyond me. I know it's already beyond me. And I'm going to step out and I'm going to. Allow the Holy Spirit to work through me in this situation, okay? So those could have been four, some of the four questions that were to come out of that. So let's go back to the passage of Scripture, and I want to read it in its entirety, and then we'll walk back down through it. So 1 Peter chapter 4, starting verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad in his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, Good. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we always want to thank you uh, when we have the opportunity to read your word, not only read it, but study it together and also to apply it to our lives. We thank you for the word made flesh, your son, Jesus Christ, given by you, laid in a manger, laid on a cross, laid in a tomb, rose on the third day, ascended into heaven and coming again. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit given to your children to take this word and, and reveal it to us. Make us aware of it in our day. And so, Lord, we ask for his guidance today as we walk through these truths. In thy precious name, amen. Amen. So what I'm going to do, if, if you had a sheet, if you picked up a sheet, what I did this time is I just, I just took the verses and I just kind of diagrammed them out in phrases, and I left some space there for you to write some stuff uh, on the sheet. But he starts off by saying, beloved, beloved. Now, it note, there's only one other time he's done this in this book. Chapter 2, verse 11, he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So, When he said beloved before, it came before a warning. It came before some hard news. So you wouldn't be surprised that when he says beloved again, there's some hard news coming. There's a warning that's coming. He says, beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. Now, we just read that there are some surprised people. If we go back to chapter four and verse four, he just spoke about how what the Gentiles do then in verse 4, he said, with respect to this, what Gentiles do, uh, simply, they are, surprised you, they are surprised. See, there are some surprised people. They are surprised that you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, so you don't go along with what they're doing, and they malign you. They even, they even revile you. They even speak against you because you're not going along with them. So he says, don't be surprised. He's telling them, he's telling the Christians ahead of time. I thought about this. Um, So you go to the fair, you go to the fair, and and there's a haunted house. How do you know there's, how do you know it's a haunted house? Because it says haunted house. It says haunted house. And maybe there's some stuff on the outside that would indicate, even if it didn't say haunted house, that it was a haunted house kind of situation. And maybe you had some of your friends went through the haunted house And they come out and they tell you everything that goes on in the haunted house kind of thing. So now you are duly warned. You are warned ahead of time so that if you do go into the haunted house and something jumps out at you, you know, you're probably not going to jump as high, as high as if there was no warning whatsoever. There was nothing on the outside of the building whatsoever. You would have been warned. That's what God is doing here. Beloved, do not be surprised. I'm telling you something ahead of time. Telling you this ahead of time so that you will not be surprised at the fiery trial. At the fiery trial. This goes all the way back to chapter one, verse six, when he started this off by saying, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various, various trials. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials, these various kinds, when it comes upon you to test you, Now, this is what's interesting for the Christian, is that any type of trial or any type of suffering that comes upon you, that is allowed to come upon you, is for your faith to be exposed. It's to show that your faith is genuine. It is to show that you are continuing to walk with him. And we see that in verse 7 of chapter 1. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When's the revelation of Jesus Christ? It's at the age to come. It's at the age to come that that would come. So beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, to expose your faith, expose your faith as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be like, this is something strange. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? If we just jump ahead, chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See, it's not strange. Peter is saying this kind of suffering is going on throughout the world. It is not strange. Let me give you a couple, I think, yeah, I did. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this will be a familiar verse. Chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation or no trial or test has seized you except what is common to man. Common to man, it's not strange. It's not out of the ordinary. And God is faithful and he will let you not let you be tempted, tested, trialed uh, beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, tested, trialed, he will also provide a way out that you may be able to stand underneath it. Let me give you another one. 1 Thessalonians First uh, Thessalonians 3, 3. He's gonna he's gonna make point of this, how common it is. He says, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You're not unsettled by these trials, because they are common. You know quite well that we were destined for them. We were destined to walk through these trials that are before, in front of us destined to do that. Well, okay, let's go back to Jesus. Always good to go back to Jesus. Jesus, John chapter 13, John chapter 15 and verse 20. Jesus says, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. And so the master would be Jesus. We would be the servant. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, do you know the next line? They will persecute you also. Was Jesus persecuted? Yes. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what will happen to you? You will also be persecuted. I'm thankful that that verse doesn't end there. There's a second part to it. If they obeyed my teaching. So in the persecution of Jesus, in the persecution of Jesus, there were some, there were some who obeyed his teaching. In the midst of the persecution, some of them turn to him. You can think of of the thief on the cross. Some of them turn to him, and then he says, they will obey yours also. So that's the other side of that coin there. While you're being persecuted, because you are following Jesus Christ, that there will be some, there will be some that will turn their eyes toward Jesus as you walk faithfully through that persecution as you walk faithfully through that persecution. So persecution upon the Christian is not strange. That's, that's the point. Persecution upon the Christian is not strange. He's warning us that, that ahead of time. Verse 13, but rejoice, but rejoice. I had, to, I had to bring this up because this came up in our Tuesday morning men's uh, Bible study that happens at Watoma Rental. Uh, some guys get together and we're going through the book of Acts. And we're in Acts chapter five. In Acts chapter five, the apostles are preaching a risen Christ, a risen Christ. And the Sanhedrin, it just, oh, what do we do with these guys? And so they threw them in prison and they locked them up and they said, okay, okay, we're going to, tomorrow we're going to bring you out and we're going to try you, you know, we're going to get to the bottom of this. So they lock them up. Well, in the middle of the night, what happens? An angel comes in and does not uh, it does a jailbreak. And, and the angel says to them, get back out into the temple and preach the whole counsel of God. And so they get out there and they're preaching the whole counsel of God. It becomes the next morning, the Sanhedrin uh, convenes, says, go get the prisoners, go get the prisoners. They go to the jail to get the prisoners. And they come back with this report and saying, "Uh, they're not there. The doors are locked. The guards are there. But there's nobody there. And then another report comes in from the temple. And they go, we know where they are. They're in the temple. They're preaching. And so they pull them in, they interrogate them, and then this wise man named Gamaliel gives a speech, and he basically ends it with, if this is of God, you will not be able to stop it. If this is of God, you will not be able to stop it. And so in chapter 5, starting at verse 40, after that, his speech, Gamaliel's speech, persuaded them, and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Okay, that, I would call that persecution, flogged. Then They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They ordered that you cannot speak about this risen Lord anymore. So the apostles left the Sanhedrin, verse 41, with their head between their knees, with their head in the sand, crying, weeping. No, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of the suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus Christ. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped. They told them, you guys got to stop doing this. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. I'm, I'm just setting the stage here, okay? Setting the stage. He says, but rejoice, if persecution is a normal thing for a Christian who's following after Christ, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, koinonia, so that you have this, because of your deep relationship, your deep fellowship with Christ, that you may also rejoice and be glad. Also rejoice and be glad. I I take you back to chapter three, verse nine, just to show this summary over and over again. It says, do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, what am I to do if I'm not doing that? He says, bless, for this is you were called that you may obtain a blessing, that you may obtain a blessing. So there is a blessing that is coming when I do this, when I bless. Same thing here. In the persecution, I rejoice, why? That you may also rejoice and be glad that there's a rejoicing and glad part to come in the age to come, in the age to come, when his glory is revealed. And here's that two-stage thing. He keeps talking about there's a suffering and then there's a glory. Let me show that to you again because it's part of this summary. Chapter one, verse 10, Peter's talking about how great a salvation we have. He says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that it was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ, that's this age, and the subsequent glories, that's the age to come, that's the age to come. Um, Chapter 5, verse 1, this is jumping ahead a little bit. He's speaking to the elders. Peter is, I exhort you as elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I was there this age. I was there at the sufferings of Christ. I was there. Then he says, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. There is a glory that is going to be revealed, and I'm going to be a partaker in that but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when that glory is revealed. So I just kind of put that graphic up there again. In this age, there's suffering. And in this age came the cross of Christ. And he ushered in the kingdom of God and the last days. But there is a second coming of Christ when it will be glory. Glory in the age to come. He goes on to say, if you are insulted, let's give you another one. If you are insulted, and we saw that, We saw that in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, when he says you're going to be maligned for not going along with them, maligned, reviled against. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, that you are properly aligned with him, you are blessed. You are to be happy. What? Wait a minute. If I'm insulted for holding on to the name of Christ, you're saying that I'm supposed to be happy about that? He says you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Anytime that you see God referring to being, or Jesus referring in the scriptures to being with you, with you, um, there's many of them, many of them. Probably one of the most popular ones is Matthew chapter 28. At the end of the chapter, when he gives the great commission, And he ends the Great Commission this way, you know, that we're to go and make disciples. He ends it with, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. As you fulfill this Great Commission, I am with you. I am right alongside of you. You are not alone. You are not alone to the very end of the age. So you play that out. There's this first coming. There's this this age, and in this age we're insulted. But Christ is there. Christ ushered in the kingdom of God, the last days. And there's a glory to come in the age to come. And he says, you are blessed. Why? Because even in this age, he is with us. He's with us, even when we are insulted. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as. Now, this is an interesting verse because in any crowd, it's a mixed crowd. In any crowd, even when you're talking to the beloved, there are those who believe in Jesus Christ and there are those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. They may, there might be some that know of Jesus Christ, but they are not properly aligned with Jesus Christ, that he is the risen Lord of their life. Okay, So he's speaking to a mixed crowd when he says, but let none of you suffer as, and notice he, he, he goes to the actor, not the action. He doesn't suffer as murdering, you know, the action. He says, no, as the actor, let none of you suffer as a murderer. And this list here, you can look at a lot of different ways. A murderer, someone who takes life. Um, it's a, a felony. It's, it's, it's severe in this list. It seems severe. But it also, you could look at it as rare. Okay, rare. Then he goes down, or a thief. So that's kind of a step down now. And that's somebody who takes stuff. And then he kind of another step down as or an evildoer. That's one who take open liberty to do wrong. So, th- so they're not hiding that they're doing wrong. It's right out in the open that they're doing wrong. And that's what they're known for. And then he gets down to the bottom or as a meddler, as a meddler. You take behind liberty to do wrong. So they're doing wrong, but it's kind of hidden. It's kind of hidden. There's a, like a there's it's not seen so well. You could look at that one and say, well, if murder is a felony, then this is a misdemeanor. If murder is severe, then this one's kind of soft. But if murder is rare, then this one is what? Common. Common. And it is amazing in the scriptures how much the scriptures talk about meddling. How much more the scripture talks about meddling, this stuff that we do behind the scenes. So." I've said this before, the scripture has said this: we suffer for doing good or we suffer for doing evil. And he's telling this mixed crowd: don't be people who suffer for doing evil. Um, this quote, I can't remember where I read this before, but it was a it was a quote of a guy who was riding horseback, he was a, a circuit rider preacher, and he was riding horseback and he got robbed. And after he got robbed, um he was still riding, he still had his horse, and he was still going to the next assignment kind of thing. And as he rode along, he was trying to think, what can I be thankful for? Be thankful on all things, you know. And, and he said, and that was one of them, but, but he said one of them was, I'm thankful to be robbed rather than being the robber. See how that, not the action, but the actor. Okay, I'm thankful to be the one who had been robbed, rather than I am the robber. I'm the one that committed that action. That action. He's shown this a couple times, just so you see it again. Second or First Peter chapter two, uh, verses 19 and 20. He makes this distinction. For this is a gracious thing or a good thing when mindful of God. When I'm thinking of God. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it? What's the report when you sin and are beaten for it and you endure? So you do something wrong, you you receive the consequences of the wrong, but you just continue on going. What kind of report is that? But if when you do good and suffer for it and and you endure, that's a whole different kind of report that here's somebody who's doing what is right, they suffer for doing what is right, and they continue on doing what is right. He says this is a gracious thing, this is a good thing in the sight of God. Chapter 3, chapter three verses 16 and 17, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Remember, that shame is coming down from God. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So here's the big point. Undeserved suffering for doing good is better than to deserve suffering for doing evil. Now, when we get to this point, we realize that this is is God's economy. This is the way that God operates. We're listening to God's rules. We're listening to how he says we are to respond. We're seeing the footprints that we are to step into that Jesus is giving us to follow in the red zone. In the red zone. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, so now here's the opposite side. So you're not going to suffer as a murderer, uh, an evildoer. Um, You're not going to suffer in those ways. If anyone suffers as a Christian, opposite situation, let him not be ashamed. That's the wrong response. So if you suffer as a Christian, because you are a Christian, do not be ashamed. That would be the wrong response. Don't be surprised. Also, it's the wrong response. Then he gives you the right response. But let him glorify God in that name. That's the right response. So if I suffer as being a Christian, the right response is I glorify God in that name. And we go back to Mandate number one that I already said one time, but I'll read the rest of the verse. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, this ties right into verse 17. For a time, for it is time for judgment to begin. Peter is saying, we're in the red zone. We're in the red zone. And he's talked about two types of judgment in this book. He's talked about man's judgment and God's judgment. He's talked about two different kinds of judgment. So what kind of judgment is he talking about here? Man's judgment is to condemn in this age. And I've read some of those verses already. Chapter 2, verse 12, they call you evildoers. You're doing good, but they call you evildoers. What are they doing? They're condemning you in this age. Uh, and chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, what do they do? They malign you for not going along with what they're doing. They're condemning you in this age. Now, God takes even that, God takes even that that type of suffering, and he says, this is a faith builder for you. This is an opportunity for your faith to be rise to the top. This is an opportunity for your faith in Jesus Christ to be exposed. This is a time for you to be able to stand on what God has said, okay? That's how God looks at that, even uses that in this age, but then God will condemn in the age to come. And we see that chapter 4, verse 5. Let me read that, because he says, after they will malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead that he will condemn at some point. He will. So I look at this, I see it as he's talking about the time for judgment to begin. He's talking about man's judgment. Because that's in this age, you'll see it. Man's judgment is in this age. The age to come is where God's judgment comes into place. And he says it's judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us. So man's judgment against the household of God. Who's the household of God? Again, to show you, he's just pulling in chapter 2, verse 5. He describes us as you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. That's the household of God. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable uh, to God through Jesus Christ. So he's talking about us at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those? And here Peter just shouts this out again. All through this book. He's been saying, what about them? What about them? What about the people who don't know Christ? What about the people who are not obeying the gospel? Keep doing those good deeds. Because some of them are going to see those good deeds and they're going to turn and they're going to glorify God someday. Wives, you who, who have, are married to husbands who don't know the Lord, we are not obeying the gospel, that they might be one without even a word. And I think Peter's doing the same thing right here. He's saying there's judgment coming, man's judgment coming upon the household of God. But what about them? What about them? What's the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? What will they see how the church responds to persecution? What will they see? This is where it ties back into verse 16. We've got man's judgment, kingdom of God, the last days will they see people ashamed of God? Or will they see people giving glory to God? What will they see? I'm sad. It's sad to say that many churches. We've been ashamed of God when the persecution has come, we have backed away from what God has said. We've put our head in the sand. We've 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 bowed our heads and in, in, like, we have not taken that opportunity to continue to glorify God. And just think about that. Think about that. What has the greater impact on our community, our society? Us backing away from the Bible that we say is the word of God? Or us even in persecution standing on it and glorifying God? Because I know if I glorify God, where is God? He's right with me. He's right with me. He, he says it again. He likes to say things twice. And he uses Proverbs 11.31. He says, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, so the righteous, that's us, that's the household of God, that's us who do obey the gospel. If we are scarcely saved, scarcely saved, meaning it wasn't easy for you to be saved. It was a, there was much work to be accomplished for you to be saved. It took a God in heaven to send down his son to die on a cross to suffer that kind of death so that you would escape the wrath of God. So if you're scarcely saved, part, you know, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter's doing it. He's using scripture this time to say, what about them? What about them? And so I, I read this last week. I think I read it to one group, but not the other. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 starting at verse 4, this should be something you mark in your Bible. Have this one marked out somehow. He says, therefore, and we like to put Peter and Paul together, so we see they're saying the same thing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. That sounds like Peter, doesn't it? Uh, All this is evidence. All this is evidence. It's showing something about you that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering in this age, in this age. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and do and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in the blazing fire and his powerful angels, the age to come, the age to come. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds like Peter, doesn't it? They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. So, all those things that it's saying in the negative toward them is is you take the opposite towards you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. On that day, he becomes to be glorified in his holy people and be marveled among all those who have believed. And then he says these words, this includes you. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Believed our testimony to you. Let me recap it this way. Will the ones who do not obey the gospel of God, the ungodly and the sinner, see see the household of God and the righteous respond to persecution with being ashamed or with giving glory to God? What will they see? I think what Peter is saying here to the first century Gentile Christians who are being heavily persecuted, he's saying to them, it matters. It matters for eternity for them. Then he ends it this way, therefore, always a therefore, therefore, after all of this, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. You could take this two different ways. Uh, You're in group one who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and you could say it's his sovereignty that I walk through what I'm walking through, and he's doing that to expose my faith. You could look at it that way. You could also look at this saying those who suffer according to God's will, meaning I'm walking through this persecution, I'm walking through it, but how am I walking through it? Am I walking through it the way God tells me to walk through persecution? You could look at it either way. He says, entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There it is. Um, Entrust their souls to a faithful creator. He takes you back to chapter 2, verse 23. When he mentions Jesus, and what did Jesus do? He didn't revile. He didn't threaten. What did he do? He continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. He's on the cross, Luke 23, 46. And one of the statements, he says, Into your hands I commit my spirit, or entrust my spirit. So we, as we suffer according to God's will, entrust our souls to a faithful creator. He is faithful. And you don't miss the fact that he created you. Don't overlook that fact. He created you. And the one that created you is faithful in his word and his deed. And then, oh, it didn't come out on here, but I made that while really big. Really, I think it is on your sheet. I made it really big. Why? Because while doing good, are we passive or active about this? We're active, aren't we? That even while we're being persecuted and we're entrusting our souls to our faithful creator, while we have not stopped, while doing good. I always keep taking us back to chapter 2, verse 12. One of my favorite ones in this whole book. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that the, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They're seeing you continue on, enduring on in this. Now, I want to close with this. Man, I didn't even look at my notes, did I? Um, I hope that you see this age, the age to come. And that our focus is on the age to come, okay? There's a lot of things in our world, even in the Christian world, that will point to your best life now. Uh Uh-uh. No. Our hope is set upon the coming of Christ again. That is where our focus is, is on that. I'll end with this because this is sad to say this. Because when I was thinking about what do they see, do they see us ashamed or do they see us glorifying God when persecution comes upon the church? What do they see? What do they see? You know, I've been preaching for 36 years. I've been in church all my whole life. But I've watched, I've watched this go from the God-given sanctity of life to a supposed man-made right of ter- termination, we we hold on to a God-given sanctity of life in the Scriptures. We live in a world that's made a man-made right of termination. That, that, there's a long distance between those two. Okay, we 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 watch a Bible, we read a Bible that talks about. God's sacred sex. And, and we live in a world that all we do is promote, make sure they have safe sex. There's a long ways between those two. Long ways. We, we hold up a Bible that says biblical, biological marriage. He defines it. And we live in a world that promotes non-biblical, non-binary unions. That's a long distance between those two. Here's another one. We, we hold up a Bible that we say is absolute truth. Part of that absolute truth is one way. There's one way. We live in a world that has individualistic truth, but there's many ways. There's a long ways between those two. Let me give you one a uh, couple more. I, I just got on a roll here. We we have a uh, we we live in a world we 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 have a Bible that talks about God's created order. That God created the heavens and We live in a world that promotes random chaos, chance. There's a long ways between those two. Let me give you one more. This one will really get me in trouble. Okay, here it comes. Sorry. We live with a Bible that tells us that God has put us into a family. And that family is precious to us. And that precious family we gather with on a regular basis because they're the saints of God. And we gather together to worship Him, to lift up His name, to learn from His Word, even in the midst of persecution. But we live in a world that has taken the holy day and made it a huddle day. Okay, are you catching what I'm saying? That many times we have we have replaced this time that we have together with other things. With other things. Stats show that well, um, it used to be that uh, a regular attender would have been gone maybe three weeks out of the year. You know what it is now? Three months out of the year. And you go, oh no, that's not right, Adam yeah, I stand up in front of congregations all the time and I've got a pretty photographic memory and I can, I can, I can almost tell you when the last time you were here kind of thing. And, and, and we, just, we just have all these other things going on. and You know, well, it's this and this. And, yeah, you add up all this, this and this and this and you'll get there. You'll get there. Because we've, we have downplayed. Now, I said those six things because they're also in the church at times. It starts in the household of God. What will they see? Will they see us ashamed? Or will they see us giving glory to God? Even in the persecution, giving glory to God. And remember, remember everything that Peter said. You, you do this with gentleness and respect. You give a defense for the, the reason that you're standing upon what you're standing upon. You do that in, in that way so that they realize that, and your genuine, your faith is rising to the surface. So you're not, you're not doing it. To, do that. No, no. Keep that finger to yourself. <laughs> no, you're doing it because you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And that genuine faith in Jesus Christ rules everything that you do. Everything that you do. I do not know why we have Thanksgiving on the same month. That we have to vote in an election. That makes sense. Who thought that up? But in everything that you do, everything that you do comes under that relationship that you have with your God and affects you in every way. It it better.